Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article, explore it, then follow the links, and see where it takes us. And this just so happens to be the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Woo! We did it. We yeah. made it one whole 52-week <laughs> year Yep. through through everything, and we're right back where we started exactly one year later. Yep. Which makes perfect <laughs> mathematical sense for us to have done and mm-hmm. have not missed a week at all. Yep. To have completely made it around the entire year, <laughs> not missing one week, every week consecutively debuting mm. a new episode, you know, that was great. Yeah. <laughs> um, Unbroken record there. <laughs> as we have a special announcement, uh, we are doing a fancy kind of project thing yeah i don't we've, we've I, I don't want to call it an episode because uh, it's not an episode no it's every episode <laughs> yeah sort of i mean it's the, a year's worth of episodes basically basically at the end of the day um it's kind of based on this concept of a, a, a choose your own adventure book but it's with wikipedia so mm-hmm. kind of in the same vein that we talk about articles on here every episode every week uh, Eric had the idea that you know we could branch this thing out. We could really take it pretty far. Mm-hmm. And uh, so what we did is we have recorded very foolishly <laughs> up to five links for every single article out of one mm-hmm. article, and then five links from that art, the subsequent article, then five links from another subsequent article. So you can kind of see in your head this sort of like NCAA March Madness <laughs> bracket forming. Except it's bigger by a factor yeah. of three. <laughs> so it's yep. it's been in the works for a long, long time, and it won't be out yeah. until our next next year's anniversary, probably. Probably, <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of articles to get through. There are, there and are. Uh, yeah, and every single path that you can take will add up to a full episode's worth of time. We guarantee it. Yep. We'll even throw in filler <laughs> if we need to. Just to oh make yeah, a full lots. Fifth- Lots of that time is spent choosing which articles oh, to yeah. go to. <laughs> well, to be fair, that is the most fun part. Like, oh yeah, because like, if we only have five options, uh, and I don't know, it's there were some pretty terse situations already where we've only had like articles that we led to that were supposed to be like <laughs> the third out of five articles, yeah. and it was two sentences long. So we, yeah. a we couldn't talk about it for long at all, and yeah. then b we had to find five links within it. We usually just like. <laughs> We scoured some of these. Like, yeah. wow. Yeah, so that's what you have to look forward to at some point. It'll be innovative and interactive and... Not something every podcast can do. No, definitely In fact, definitely most not. podcasts probably cannot do it. They can't. <laughs> but, I mean, then again, our thanks, our hats off to the people at Wikipedia who make this kind of thing possible mm-hmm. because, you know, like, it's the backbone. We would, yeah. we would not be a podcast that could do this without them who could do Wikipedia. Right. Wow. The, the grammatical intricacies <laughs> of that sentence kind of elude me, but... Uh, On to the show. Okay. Let's let's just uh, yeah. Let's, let's. All right. Well, for this episode, what is your random article? Ah, uh, you're not gonna believe this, but Indian film has now joined the ranks of small towns and uh, mobs. Okay. Yep. We now have a list of Canada films, which you would think is Canada, but it's spelled with a K and two N's, so it's not. Uh. <laughs> list of Canada films of 1982. Hmm. This is just a list of Canada films produced in India in 1982. Now, I'm not sure what Canada is with regard to India, 
but apparently it's a specific kind of film. In any case, there's a whole list of uh, uh, movies and actors and musics and directors and years even because there are lists going on for every year dating from 2016 all the way back to the 1960s. Mm. So there's a, a lot, a lot. It's a rink. It's rife with a bunch of links that I can't say the name of. So that's always tempting. Uh, what do you have? What do you have, Eric? Well, I have Robert Barker. Robert Barker. Which is Bob Barker. Wait, but not what? that Bob Barker. Oh, man. <laughs> Come on. But he is a painter, uh, born 1739, died 1806, and he coined the word panorama. Yeah, okay, whatever. But is there a C also that takes us to the right Bob Barker? <laughs> <laughs> That's the real is... the real question here is can we get to the prices right <laughs> through your <laughs> through your link? Well, That's the main thing. Let me just do a skim through here. Hmm. Or maybe in a twist of events we can get to the prices right through my eye. <laughs> <laughs> we never hmm. know. We never know. Maybe that's our goal. Maybe that's our goal now. Maybe it's like we're one year in, we're getting bored, we're just going to make <laughs> goals. And we have to get... This is going to be Babe Ruth calling our shots from yep. the From the, the beginning of the episode. <laughs> we're going to call where we end up. And there's no way to control this, <laughs> of course. Well, there's a link to a different Barker, which is one of his sons. Um, Distant grandfather of Bob? Could be. <laughs> mm. I don't know. It's, but I haven't heard of the painter regardless. Now, mm -hmm. I feel as though we haven't done much in the way of art as far as, like, paintings mm -hmm. and stuff go. I think we did, like, I recall vaguely a long time ago, episode somewhere in the 20s, we did an Italian artist briefly. But Yes, yes. And we have done architecture, of course, which is an art of mm -hmm. sorts. But then we've also done Indian films, so it's not like we're going to start <laughs> in any place we haven't been before. Didn't we do Indian films recently, too? I believe we did. And it was mostly Indian films. We just meandered through <laughs> only Indian film. But there's a whole other genre of Indian film that we haven't even hmm. gotten close to touching, apparently. I'm not sure what... I mean, there's... It's a part of Indian cinema, but Canada cinema is from is sandalwood is what they refer to it as it's not hmm. bollywood so there's an entire other there's multiple hollywood type <laughs> things in india which is so weird to think about wow yeah hmm. ah, i'm torn me too me too on one hand we have a lot of really entertaining mispronunciations of names coming our way on the other hand Bob Barker potential. <laughs> it's a real, it's a real gamble. All right, well, let's toss a coin. Yeah, we gotta do that. And we still to the clarify, thing that we learned about yep. that one time. We learned how to rig it. So brace yourself, <laughs> folks. We already know where this one's going. All right. Well, okay. So Bob Barker's heads. All right, and then my list of not Canadian Canada films in 1982 is Tales. All right. And you can call it when it's in the air. So what'd you pick list? Oh, that's right. We're not doing the choose your own. Oh, uh, 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 tails? Wait. It is heads. Oh, no. I've lost. <laughs> no, Canada Films. I guess you really didn't need to call it in the air. I, I, I didn't. I don't know why I you asked me. I don't know this. why I asked you that either. <laughs> Because <laughs> it would have worked we did, the same. Either yeah, way. no matter what the <laughs> outcome of the coin flip, it we already just yeah we already know we already know. So yes, we're going right. to Bob Barker. Yes. Okay. Well, Robert. Right, right, right. Sorry, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> yeah. So he's English. And he coined the word panorama. And uh, he used it to describe his paintings of Edinburgh, Scotland, shown on a cylindrical surface, which he soon was exhibiting in London as the panorama. And in 19, or 1793, 
Barker moved his panoramas to the first purpose-built panorama building in the world hmm. in Leicester Square, and he made a fortune. Well, to be fair, <laughs> if you haven't seen a panorama before, and suddenly this guy walks up and is like, yo, check this out. Your, your mind is going to be freaking blown. Yeah. If, okay. If you just see, like, normal paintings and then suddenly, They're what? widescreen. A- <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's got to be quite a sight. Because you can take, like, really epic views of cities and valleys and nature, and all of a mm-hmm. sudden, you can just wheel them up to somebody and be like, here you go. Yep. It's like you're there. <laughs> Wow, that's a huge, a huge, huge <laughs> difference. Um, the viewers who came to see this stuff, they paid uh, three shillings to stand on a central platform under a skylight, and that <laughs> offered even lighting and gave it an experience that was panoramic, uh, an objective that didn't actually appear in print until 1813. Wow. Uh, the extended meaning of a comprehensive survey of a subject followed sooner in 1801. Visitors to Barker's semi-circular panorama of London painted as if viewed from the roof of Albion Mills on the South Bank could purchase a series of six prints that modestly recalled the experience. End-to-end, the prints stretched 3.25 meters, which isn't that long at all, really. It's 9 feet. But, I mean, that's bigger bigger than other stuff. Yeah, and he actually used sophisticated manipulations of perspective, such as wide angle, to uh, create the illusion of um, this panorama. And he actually etched his, uh, let's see, Wenceslas Holler's long view of London from Bankside on several contiguous sheets. It's cool. And Barker actually patented it his patented patented his patented. technique in 1787. And he gave it a French title, La Nature à coup d'oeil. Hmm. Nature at a glance. So that's yeah. pretty neat. Uh, so Barker's Panorama was a predecessor to a lot of other ones because it was hugely successful. It spawned a series of immersive panoramas throughout Europe. The Museum of London's curators found mention of 126 panoramas that were exhibited between 1793 and 1863. In Europe, panoramas were created of historical events and battles, notably mm. by the Russian painter Franz Rubaud. Rubaud? I don't know. He's Russian. Rubin. I feel like I shouldn't French. <laughs> I shouldn't Frenchify that last name. But he was an artist, so maybe I should. Rubald. Rubod. Rubad. Rubad. That's a strange word for Russian. Yeah. Because it's a strange very name. Very very strange name. That's like German, German and French. French, <laughs> and then he's Russian. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you say so. <laughs> Uh, most major European cities featured more than one purpose-built structure hosting panoramas, and these large fixed-circle panoramas declined in popularity in the latter third of the 19th century. Though in the United States they experienced a partial revival in this period, they were more f- commonly referred to as cycloramas, and <laughs> that is a different thing altogether, <laughs> I think. I thought. Because I was under the impression that panoramas are just... <laughs> wide, like you look at them from a certain view. Yeah. But I thought cycloramas were different in that they encircled you. You stood in the midst of them. Well, maybe that's like what panorama started as. But people called them cycloramas. Sure. And then maybe they distinguished between the two at some point or something. Oh, well. Maybe we'll have to find out. I don't know. <laughs> But in Britain, and particularly in the U.S., the panoramic panoramic ideal was intensified by unrolling a canvas-backed scroll past the viewer in a moving panorama, Hmm. Um, an alteration of the idea that was familiar in the handheld landscape scrolls of Song Dynasty. 
That's a good name for a band. Yeah, Song <laughs> Dynasty. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, but these panoramas were eventually eclipsed by moving pictures. That's a good name for an album. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it says C motion picture, but it doesn't give a link. So who knows what those motion pictures are? We'll never find out. <laughs> Uh, the similar diorama uh-huh. was essentially a, an elaborate scene in an artificially lit room-sized box. Hmm. A room-sized box? That's... Just a room, isn't it? Yeah. At that point? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like a room-sized box is a room. I'm pretty sure. I guess it depends on the depth. Maybe. Because I know that they have things that I guess are technically dioramas. You know, if, you mm. have, if you've ever gotten to... Any big Amish smorgasbords, you may see oh, those paintings yeah. that are 3D. That's true. They have little sculptures in them instead of actual paintings. Yeah. Like, maybe it's that. I'm not really sure. Could be. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't, that's a weird way to put it, because that's <laughs> definitely just a room. Yeah, because, I mean, if it's room-sized and it's a box, like a room is a box shape, so you figure... Hmm. So, from here, uh, there's a little bit about the family, but who cares? Uh, we are able to go to a couple other places. I'm kind of leaning towards Cyclorama, because now that they are kind of purporting hmm. that Cycloramas and Panoramas are somehow different, I want to see what they're on about. Yeah, I'm cool with that. I mean, there okay. isn't even really a link to Panorama, so... Now, Panoramas we kind of know about. Yeah. Cycloramas, on the other hand, they're worth knowing knowing about if they are, in fact, something different than panoramas, <laughs> which I'm not sure about anymore, but we'll find out. Yeah, it could be that it just is all the same thing. Yeah, maybe. Oh, no, but it is sort of, yeah. sort of, <laughs> sort of. A cyclorama is a panoramic image on the inside of a cylindrical platform. So it is sort of different. It's the method of display which is different. It's still a panoramic image, technically. So, yeah. It's a panorama put on to a certain viewing device. Right. But if it wasn't a picture, if it was, say, instead a painting, then it could be legitimately wraparound. Hmm. As is the case with that of the one that is about the Civil War, which they actually mention in this article. We'll get there, we'll get there, we'll get there. Okay, so panoramas were, of course, invented by Irish painter Robert Barker, right? Now, they were popular uh, in the late 19th century here. After Robert Baker opened his, which was his, his his first one was displayed in a cyclorama. Like that was the specific mm. structure they were talking about. Okay. Because they didn't have that word in Europe, I guess. I don't know why. <laughs> because they could have said that literally nine more times in the article. Like cyclorama's <laughs> are the buildings in which panoramic paintings were presented. Yeah. Like that's all you needed to say, guys. Guys. <laughs> anyway, um. It's becoming very evident to me that, like, the United States just uses Wikipedia, and <laughs> most of the articles are written by entirely other places in the world. Like, we yeah. don't care about writing this thing. <laughs> we I created it, true. and we're just kind of like, okay, you, you guys do it. We're like the big bully who makes everybody else do our homework for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then we tell our students not to use Wikipedia as a source. Yep. <laughs> but, hey, you know... It's pretty. It's been pretty nice to us most of the time. Yeah. For that time that closed down the article about ourselves. Yeah. But hey, that wasn't cool. But you know, one of these days, they'll legitimize us. <laughs> we'll go down in Wikipedia history. Once yet. we release that, choose your own adventure. Yeah. Then we'll be able to put the in the article, the only podcast to have a choose your own adventure episode, and then go. that will be something noteworthy. Yep. And they'll have to leave it. Because it's worthwhile yep. at that point. Because we spent hours of our time making this thing that, you know, may never get all the way listened to. We'll see. We'll see. But at least George will probably 
George will, George will give it a crack and go. <laughs> and maybe our good Canadian fan <laughs> might take a crack at it, yeah, too. Yeah, that's for his, true. Maybe. Like, yeah, he, he seems like he has a pretty good uh, basis to want to wanna know about stuff. <laughs> and we do go into things pretty pretty thoroughly. Sometimes out of necessity. In the other. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, pr- pr- all, all shameless self-promoting aside, um, let's talk about Psychoramas really quick. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of them that were just panoramas, but uh, circular and uh, hexagonal-shaped buildings were also constructed hmm. in almost every major U.S. and European city to provide a viewing space for psychoramas. Now, there were 360-degree depictions of land and naval battles, uh, namely like the Battle of Vicksburg, that was completed and first exhibited in Paris. This work by Lucien Pierre Sergent and Joseph Bertrand uh, traveled to New York City, Chicago, and San Francisco, as well as Tokyo. Oddball, oddball mix there. That's <laughs> I like how it says New York, Chicago, and San Francisco, and Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. Like those three <laughs> things are one thought, and then Tokyo is the afterthought. It's just tailing <laughs> along. Poor Tokyo. Uh, hundreds of cycloramas were produced. However, there's only about 30 left, hmm. which is why the one that I'm thinking of is pretty, you know, um, pretty cool, pretty rare, yeah. too. Um, and that one is, of course, the Paul Filippotto painting, the Gettysburg Cyclorama. And that's still alive in the Gettysburg National Military mm. Park. You can go there, make a huge room for it, and you can go in and just stand there and be like, wow, wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if there were like movies like this, if it wasn't just like a still painting, except guess what? What? Oh, uh, <laughs> I thought. I was gonna, never mind. Uh, an extension of this concept into motion pictures was pioneered with the invention of Cinorama. That debuted in the 1900 Paris Exposition. So, my question to you, Eric, is why are we not sitting in theaters that are wraparound with wraparound movies yet? <laughs> like, we could have had a way more immersive well, experience. 1900! They yeah. made Cyclorama <laughs> movies, 360-degree movies. Yeah. They made the Oculus Rift in a really stupid way in 1900. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Like, But, I mean... Yeah, it's kind of like they they had to dial it back first, and then they started going big again with uh, some IMAX formats. Oh, there's an IMAX format now. Um, and Circle Vision 360 degrees. Okay, That's, that we need to look into. Yeah. I think. <laughs> oh, 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 oh! Epcot's Reflections of China. That's apparently a thing. That's where you see. Circle Vision 360 in action, but I can't say I've been to Epcot's Reflections of China. Yeah. <laughs> so See, it sounds odd. Yeah. But these uh, cycloramas, um, a lot of them were uh, traveling shows, kind of like movies of the time period. And... There's usually like narrators and stuff telling a story hmm. of the event depicted. Cool. So, yeah. That's kind of an added bonus you don't get now. Like now, if you wanted to do that, you'd probably see them on display, but you'd have to go in and get like outfitted with mm. little like tape and yeah. a Walkman <laughs> or like a MP3 you can download on your phone or something. There'd be little like you know post-its on the on the painting or something that, that you know, like, hey. <laughs> This is number one. If you want to find out about this, push that button. They have a little, uh, I don't even remember what they're called now. Those QR codes. Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> then, then you can scan them and yeah. then it'll play a thing for you. And, you, you know, you just download some kind of app that can read QR codes and then uh, scan it. It's a good way to go about it. Yeah. A little less invasive than having a, a guy there just kind of barking at you the entire <laughs> time. 
and a little less guilt factory too. Like, yeah. cause, like unlike a movie, it's not like you go in, you sit down, you wait till the end of it, you leave. <laughs> like that narrator probably felt pretty bad. Like the people just kind of mm. like, oh, I'm bored with you, and just like left. <laughs> but you know. Uh, all right. So they use some psychoramas to do some special effects and bend her. Yeah, that's, oh. that's all I feel like saying about that, really. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Basically, a chariot race was a bunch of real chariots against the Cyclorama. Oh, 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 that makes sense. Ran. Oh, wow. That. So the play, but it was a 1899 play. Oh, so this isn't the movie the, we're talking no, about. No, no, this is the Broadway hit from 1899 ran for 21 years wow seen by 20 million people oh wow so it was achieved by four great cradles 20 feet in length and 14 feet wide which are movable front and back and front on railways the horses galloped full pelt towards the audience, what? secured by invisible steel cable traces and running on treadmills. No way. And then electric rubber rollers spun the chariot wheels. This is some That's crazy. high-tech stuff for, for 1899. 1899? That was written into the stage play? Are you kidding? <laughs> I mean, it was Broadway, like, but 1899 <laughs> Broadway... Still 1800. Uh, yeah. So we found I mean, out. That, I feel like that's more complicated than stuff that they do nowadays. Well, I mean, we have we like, have 360 <laughs> degree cinema invented in 1900. We have Ben Hur doing more elaborate Broadway show stuff than we do now. In a play that ran for 21 years, mind you. Yeah. That's gotta be pretty close to rivaling Cats. Yeah. Like wow. But geez. And that was the film. That was actually the the play that inspired the 1959 film adaptation of Ben Hur. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Like I can't imagine being the guy, like pitching that. All right, so we're gonna have real horses. No way. Real chariots. <laughs> They're gonna be running, actually running towards the audience, but we're gonna rig up a whole bunch of stuff to make them not actually get into the audience. Art. <laughs> I feel probably like cost they, a lot of money. It would have, but at, at the same time, like at that point in time, you could have gotten away with it too. Mm. Kind of like if you just kept plugging away at it back then, I think you could have gotten away with that Spider-Man play. <laughs> That's uh, true. Like nobody would have cared. Like yeah, it, I feel like they were like crazier <laughs> back then. They were just like, hey, let's just do something awesome. And yeah, now we're getting to the point where like everybody's kind of getting a little more comfortable. We're starting mm-hmm. to get around to like. Okay, Moving into well, the industrial age. and Yeah, yeah, we're done with that. So now it's like <laughs> human life is valuable again. We can't just use it, expend it. We can't just like frivolously spend it on entertainment ventures, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of kind of the going trend now. But uh, uh, I think the, it, it can be done. I mean, things like Noah's Ark were, or I should say the stage play Noah, was a big success mm. at Sight and Sound. And for many yeah. years, they did use real animals. They replaced them. Yeah, that's easily, true. But for many years, they did have like lions, mm. lions, real ones. <laughs> um, let's see, let's see. There's a whole list of cycloramas down here. All of them. Um, let's see, if there's any actually interesting ones? Ooh. Fletcher's Mutiny Psychorama. <laughs> depicting the history of Norfolk Island and the Bounty Mutiny. Hmm. Not sure what that is, actually. Um, Palace and Garden of Versailles. What's the point? There's still <laughs> the actual Versailles. <laughs> with palace and gardens. <laughs> you don't need a Psychorama. Just go to France, you bum. <laughs> go. <laughs> Okay, well, hold on. Let's see if that's actually, like, in a place where it would matter. Because if it's in the Palace of Versailles, I'm going to be uh, angry. But... Oh, no, it's in New York City. Okay, so if you want to save a few bucks, <laughs> just go to New York City, see the cyclorama up there. Boom. Done. You've already been to Paris. You don't <laughs> need to go. 
It's just another, just another crap country anyway. Doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean France, not Paris. Wait, I don't even remember what I was saying. If I was saying France or Paris before, <laughs> it doesn't matter though. It doesn't matter either way. Point is, you can see it in New York City today, right now, right here, right now. Uh, and the Waterloo Cyclorama. That's a good one. Being depicted near Waterloo. I like that. Good good choice of location. <laughs> I like that the See Also section also provides a link to Cycloramic, an iPhone app for taking such images. <laughs> but, I mean, sure I can take them, but how am I going to look at it in the right way? <laughs> like, I'm just going to see it on my iPhone screen? That's dumb. That's boring. But... Like, it's just gonna be really narrow and stupid. <laughs> I'll have to zoom in on it to the point where there's there's no point. <laughs> but you don't even need that app because, it, like, the iPhone itself—it's a built-in can camera feature, take right? Panoramic images. Yeah. In the just, camera app. <laughs> you just match up the box yeah. with the with the place. It's the thing. <laughs> I don't know. That's it's kind of silly. Uh, of course, we also have the. International Panoramic Council underneath that, and a word, Eidofusikon. <laughs> Eidofusikon. Hmm. Don't know what that is. Hmm. Don't even know what language that is. Uh, probably. Eido sounds like Japanese, like the, the video game company Eidos. That was the European company, wasn't it? My guess would be Ukrainian. For some reason. Even though that's All probably right. not correct, because it's probably a more it like standard be. thing like German or Russian or something. But no, it's uh it's it's Greek. Ah. Uh, that makes a lot more sense, because old stuff. Old stuff. Because old stuff. So we're on Idafusicon now? I think we're on Idafusicon. <laughs> we can go back and sound, sound noise, make sounds. <laughs> Did it already make a sound? I the ding? Did I do it? The ding? Yeah, the ding. Ding. Yeah. Oh, you did? Yeah, it there. happened. <laughs> okay, good. I see it. I see it now. Yep. <laughs> it's a relief. Yep, we got it. All right. Sometimes I miss them. You know, it's, it's weird. Like, yeah. we do this live recording and we have a bell sitting right here to make the ding noises every mm -hmm. time we switch an article. Every once in a while, I just, I'm just not paying attention. I miss it. I zone out. Yeah, sometimes, you know, you get that noise cancellation thing going on. Yeah, it's like white noise after mm -hmm. a little bit, and you just don't hear it. But, I mean, it is there. It's always yeah. there. I, don't, I, I usually, you know, pay attention to it. But, in any case. So, okay. Yeah. Just putting this out there, I think we can get to Bob Barker from here. Idofusicon? There's a link to movie making. In Idofusicon. Okay. All right. Through That's that it. link, no, there are this. paths. We can do this. <laughs> we can do this. Okay. The Idofusicon was a piece of art no longer extant created by 18th century painter Phillips James de Lutherberg. It opened in Leicester Square, February 1781. Uh... An early form of movie making in that it was a moving picture. Uh, Using mirrors and pulleys. Yes. Okay. So it was an early form of movie making. All right. Movie making. And thus we go to movie making. Part of a series on filmmaking. All right. The process of making a film. Filmmaking. Done. Okay. You know what right. it is now. You know what filmmaking is. It's making the film. Yes. Why are you even on this article? Because we want you to be. <laughs> because we want to be. All right, so let's see if there's uh, any area Film about industry. TV? Film in... Oh, wait. Television, yeah. There's television right there. Television. All right. On a television. Okay. All right, so we're in the right arena. Um, hmm. Content? 
broadcast systems, terrestrial television, genres, and genres. There we go, game shows. All right. Alright, so we're on game shows. You all know what a game show is. It's a show where people compete to... <sighs> so close. As soon as we went to game show, I had a moment of hope. But it's Bloody oh. Pat Sajak. <laughs> ah. There is a link. To where? To The Price is Right. Okay, The Price is Right. Let's see if all we right, did it. We are on The Price is Right. Why wow, we did that in like four or five articles, max. It's crazy. <laughs> You're never too far off from anywhere you want to be. If we go through one, only one more article, we're, we'll be in the sixth article. Six degrees of separation. <laughs> it applies to Wikipedia, too. Yep. We can do it. We can do it. Yep. Except, hold on. Where's the link for Bob Parker? Oh, it's right in the first paragraph. Oh, yeah? Uh, End of the first paragraph. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Wait, no. I went to the wrong one. I went to the Price what? is Right 1956 U.S. game show. <laughs> There's another link to the Price is Right. You gotta, <laughs> what? Yes, there is. <laughs> I went to the 1956 one, which was canceled. It's an ABC one. It's not the CBS one. Uh, Different property. (laughs) As it turns out. What? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, the one I went to is under prizes, and it's uh, the... I mean, I'm in game show, but... Under the prizes heading, um, last sentence... Such as low price items used in several pricing games of the prices. Right. Okay, that's the right article, but I swear to God, there's another prices right <laughs> out there. It's in the same article too. There is. This is the other thing. Like we can get to Bob Barker, but what about the rogue prices oh, right? Wow. Yeah, it's there. There is. That's. The, I just clicked the first one I saw, man. That's all I did. Wow. And it's 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 the wrong one. Yeah. I was really that's confused because I was scrolling through and I was like, what parallel universe did I enter on this side <laughs> of the room? There's no Bob Barker in my own. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. All right. Well, we are on Bob Barker. We did it. We made it through even a parallel universe price was right. <laughs> to get to Bob Barker, we've come for you, Bob Barker. So you Bob- all know who Robert William Bob Barker is. Born in 1923, he's a 92-year-old man who is a former uh, television game show host. Yep. If you've ever been sick at home <laughs> from school or work, and there's nothing really else going on that day, no breaking news, and you were flipping through the channels and you were like, I don't want to watch soap operas, I don't want to watch soap operas, I don't want to watch paid programming, I don't want to watch soap operas, what am I going to watch? <laughs> Jeez, this is boring. Price is Right is on. Yep. All right. <laughs> Staying home was worth it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he was he was always, like, the guy who, like, brightened up your 11 a.m. on yeah. a sick day, you know? He's not, like, incredibly enthusiastic, but no. he just has something charming about him. He has a fair amount of charisma, yeah. I would say. Not, like, um... He's he's not like an he's not like an Alex Trebek type host who's yeah. just like very like dry and informative. Mm-hmm. He is kind of he had his own style. Don't yeah. really think about it. It was it's very hard to say because everybody else is kind of like this bombastic host. Like even Regis hosting yeah. Who Wants to Be a Millionaire got like pretty like loud and yeah. like like snappy about it. But Bob Barker had always this kind of like this level level headed guy. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what happened, he was always just kinda of like, eh, well, <laughs> you know, this is cool. <laughs> you did have to deal with probably some of the crazier people in game shows. Oh, the bombasticness came entirely from the crowd <laughs> in the in the instance of Price is right. Like yeah. people like I, I I remember times where people just like grabbed Bob Barker's shoulders and just jumped up and down and squealed <laughs> right in his face on camera. He just stood there and was like, okay, <laughs> this is happening. But 
you know, he he was never not smiling. Is the yeah. thing. Like, he he's never really looking at them like, please stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he was he was always he was always willing yeah. to be like whatever. He was always a good sport about stuff. He was he was even through his like mid to late eighties. Like mm-hmm. the guy is and he was an old dude. He kept hosting that thing forever. I thought yeah. he was gonna do it till he was dead. Yep. He started hosting all the way back in 1972. And that's an awful long career, given that he went until 2007 mm-hmm. on The Price is Right. But he did have other things that he has hosted, too. Um, he started out on a show called Truth or Consequences hmm. on December 31st, 1956, and continued until 1974. The idea there was to mix the original quiz element of game shows with wacky stunts. Huh. Truth or consequences. Okay. Yeah, makes sense now, doesn't it? On the show, people had to answer a trivia question correctly. Usually an off-the-wall question that no one would be able to answer correctly. (laughs) Before Beulah, the buzzer, was sounded. If the contestant did not complete the truth portion, there was a consequences. <laughs> Usually a zany and embarrassing stunt. If the contestant answered the question invariably, the question had a second part. <laughs> In addition, during Barker's Run as Host, Barker's Box was played. Barker's Box was a box with four corners in it. If a contestant was able to pick all three corners with money inside before picking the empty drawer, they won a bonus prize. Hmm. Which is kind of neat. It was on Truth or Consequences that the salute that became his trademark (laughs) sign-off. I remember that. I remember that now. What a good thing to be able to coin. Like, to be early enough (laughs) on the TV game that you can be like, this is my thing. That's it. It's just salute. It's so simple. It's brilliant. (laughs) It's something that many people do. But but now it's mine. Yep. (laughs) On TV, this is it. Yep. Very casual salute though. It was always kind of like tilted and from like yeah. the middle of his forehead. It was never like, like <laughs> it was never like yeah, it was never very military yeah. style. Very chill, very chill salute. Yeah. Then he uh, also did a show called End of the Rainbow. Uh, he began hosting this in 1957 and uh, hosted for about a year. And on this show, he and co-host Art Baker. That, that's weird. Bob Barker and Art Baker. <laughs> I can't it's a really. Bit of a Bob Barker and Art Baker. <laughs> Art Baker and Bob Baker. <laughs> Bob Baker and Art Barker. <laughs> Art Barker. Bart Baker. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's that's really unfortunate, isn't it? Yeah. Or, or maybe do, it was deliberate. I, I don't know what was. Yeah, yeah that could be. Time. <laughs> but yeah. Really break our announcers in. <laughs> in this show, they went out to various places in America and surprised the less fortunate who helped others when they could barely help themselves. For example, the first episode featured a Minneapolis grocer who, in return for his community service, was given a complete makeover to his store plus new furniture and appliances for his home. In addition, his landlord, who was in on the surprise, announced that the current month's rent was free and that the grocer's rent would never increase. Wow. That's pretty nice. That's very nice. That's a really control, rent-controlled store there. Yeah. I feel like uh, we have shows kind of similar to that nowadays. Yeah, there are some here and there. There's, you know, like, uh, like total makeover, like uh, those those intense like re- total renovation of your house shows, or yeah. pay my ride shows, yeah. or your your Nathan for you style shows. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's essentially kind of like a pimp my ride of. <laughs> yeah, pimp my ride of my business. Yeah, basically. This one's interesting. The Family Game, um, very short-lived show. From in 1967, um, where Barker would ask children uh, questions about their family's lives, and the parents had to guess how they answered. So kind of like the newlyweds, but for families and parents and children. Aww. Barker married his high school sweetheart, 
Dorothy Joe Gideon on January 12, 1945. Unfortunately, they remained married only for 36 years, not because of Hollywood reasons, but because she died in 1981 of lung cancer. They had no children, and Barker has never remarried since, which is really sad. He did have relationships, though, with various models on The Price is Right, <laughs> including Diane Parkinson from 1989 to 1991, which ended in legal action. Mm. <laughs> but, I mean, I can't blame him. Like, yeah. if you get married to your high school sweetheart and you've been married to her for 36 years and something like lung cancer comes, you're just kind of like, well, I'm kind of, I, I don't really know what else to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you're a guy who's going to live to be bloody 92 years old. Yeah. Jeez, man. It's like all those years, she's like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm bored. I guess I'll date. I don't know. <laughs> like, what am I supposed to do now exactly? That being said, it's impressive that, you know, for all those years, he still was able to keep his, like, spunk and panache mm. and not get into any, like, scandals or anything like that. He's, yeah. he's been a stand-up individual his entire life. It's pretty good. <laughs> of course, he's also a very, very um, animal rights guy. Yeah, he's he's always been kind of like paradized by various shows. There's this guy who's like, "Go cut the balls off your cat. Just do it. Just neuter your pet. Neuter every pet all the time. Don't let them reproduce. Don't even try. Just don't have kittens in your house. You don't want them." Um, but that's partially because uh, he's always also been he he kind of like takes a multiple point stance on this. He's also a vegetarian. He started mm-hmm. being a vegetarian in 1979. Um. He was named national spokesman for Be Kind to Animals Week in 1985. His, uh, apparently his wife, uh, Dorothy Joe, uh, caused him to become more aware of animal rights because she had, um, mm. and she was ahead of her time as far as animal rights went, which really influenced him to take up that mantle as soon as she died. Because it's kind of something that she, he was doing in, like, in her honor, in, mm, her, in yeah. her stead. So that's kind of sweet. Um, basically, he wants you to get your pet neutered to help control the population. Not because he's being mean to your pets. Yeah. Not because he doesn't believe that they would be bad parents. It's just that it's better than having animals that are potentially left to suffer. Yeah. Then it's better to have every animal in a good home where if they're domesticated, they can be taken care of instead of dying in the wild because they're not feral and they're not good at being feral mm-hmm. and they can't hunt. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, that, that, that's the thing a lot of people don't understand. You can't just set every single pet outside. <laughs> like, it's fine. It's an animal. No. No, they've, they've unlearned what yeah. they've learned. Like, <laughs> it, it, it changes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad uh, Drew Carey's still continuing that signature sign-off. Indeed. He he carried on the right traditions. I think he's doing right by Bob Barker mm-hmm. by having a very similar hosting style where he's also not bombastic, literally at all, ever, but he's <laughs> never, like, he's never not smiling. Yeah. I've never seen Drew Carey not smiling. Yeah. He was just, like, this weird, like, he's half happy. smile, at least. Yeah, and, like, he uh, bottoms out a half on, smile. uh, whose line is it anyway? He would yep. always be, you know, like, he would be smiling. Hilariously <laughs> laughing. Like, he would just be cracking up. Yeah. Um... I forgot about this. Bob Barker hosted uh, the Miss Universe pageants from 1967 to 1987. Hmm. In 1987, he requested the removal of fur prizes, uh, as in fur coats and so forth, <laughs> and stepped down as host when those in charge of the pageant refused. Hmm. So don't blame Donald Trump entirely. The people who run that pageant <laughs> have always been very stubborn, even against very pressing influence, even if it's from, like, the influence of like a very affluent white dude mm. who you know is otherwise a really really nice guy like <laughs> why wouldn't you listen to Bob Barker about that just yeah. use fake fur it was the 80s like they had <laughs> fake fur I'm sure Bob Barker made that argument like listen yeah. there's fake fur now stop this <laughs> oh well the point is that Bob Barker tried and when they turned him down he said I'm out of here yep that's the kind of man Bob Barker was sticks to his guns he's a real Barker for <laughs> those who bark He's all bark and, and no. also bite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's why you don't want to get him neutered. Wait. Yep. <laughs> Not that you have to. He's never had any kids, so. Yeah. Sad. Uh, Barker's DJ and T Foundation, founded in 1994, 
and named after his wife and mother, has contributed millions of dollars for animal neutering programs and to fund animal rescue and park facilities all over the United States. And he has worked closely with Betty White as an advocate for animal rights. Which is a pretty cool thing to do. Yeah. Two old people just... Hammering away. Still plugging away at the animal rights. Two 90-plus-year-old people making sure the animals get to also be 90-plus-year-old people. (laughs) Now, um, you might also remember Bob Barker as playing himself in Happy Gilmore with Adam Sandler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Which is one of the most memorable scenes in the movie. Indeed. Because it's Bob Barker being who he usually isn't. Indeed. Indeed. No spoilers here, though. We yeah. won't tell you. <laughs> you figured it out because we've been like praising the good graces of Bob Barker this entire time. Like, what's the opposite of that? Hmm. <laughs> what could be What could be wrong with Bob Barker? Hmm. Uh, don't forget also that he was in the Futurama episode, The Lesser of Two Evils, and the Family Guy episodes, Screwed the Pooch and the Fat Guy Strangler, and <laughs> Tales of a Third Grade Nothing. That's the second time Wikipedia has done that to us this episode, where it's been, and... Or no, no, they didn't do that there. I thought they did. I put an in there. My mind put an in there. <laughs> Maybe you just wanted it to only be I two. I only wanted it to be two. I didn't want Bob Barker to have that much involvement with Family Guy. I'll be honest. And so it happened. Bob Barker was a guest host on The Tonight Show in 1966. Wow. That would have been something yeah. to see. Yeah. He was hosting, uh, and when he was a regular on NBC hosting Truth or Consequences, he would appear, periodically appear on the show. I would like to have seen him as a talk show host. Well, he uh, wasn't just on that show. He was also on other various talk shows. I'm not sure as a host or as a guest, but he's appeared on that. Dinah, Larry King Live, The Arsenio Hall Show, Crook and Chase, Donnie and Marie, The Rosie O'Donnell Show, The Ellen DeGeneres Show, The Wayne Brady Show, The Late Show with David Letterman, and The Late Late Show with Craig Ferguson. Hmm. He's also appeared on Bonanza. Which is... what? (laughs) (laughs) Probably so young you wouldn't have recognized him, though. Yeah, I mean, it was a 1960 episode, so this is well before his uh, game show days. Not that it would be impossible for it to be Bob Barker of recognizability, considering the Bonanza went into... Is that the one that went forever? Oh, yeah, that one... Um, 1973. <laughs> yeah, that, I... How many total seasons? 14 uh, seasons. 14 seasons. 431 episodes, because seasons back then <laughs> meant something. Yeah, back in those days, it was like Reruns 30 episode seasons, 40 episode seasons. Yeah, they were yeah. crazy long. And don't forget that there was also a similar thing, but Bonanza was the big one. There was Gunsmoke, but Bonanza was the oh, big yeah. one. Yeah, those old shows, man. They were crazy. So much episode. Mm-hmm. So much story. Wow. He was a special guest host for WWE Raw <laughs> on September 7th, 2009 the for a special episode called The Price is Raw. <laughs> 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 uh, okay, WWE. <laughs> sometimes sometimes you get things right on the money. Yep. He also was on an episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. Voicing the character Bob Barnacle. There you go. His nautical equivalent. So where should we end this episode? We got a lot of good options here. Bob Barker has opened up so many doors. Mm-hmm. We got PETA. We got Columbia University of Law. We got Betty White. We got Cherokee. We got SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> got the Arsenio Hall show. We got the Tonight Show. <laughs> we got Truth or Consequences. Dinah. Dinah. Something so right. 
We got summa cum laude. We have Springfield. Hmm. Oh, we should also mention this just briefly because it's kind of cool that uh, Barker was born in Darrington, Washington, spent most of his youth on the Rosebud Indian Reservation in South Dakota because he is actually an official member of the Sioux tribe. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty relevant cultural heritage thing there. And yeah. being that if you look at Bob Barker, your, your first thought is not Native American. I think it's kind of like, <laughs> you know, kind of an interesting thing to bring up. Yeah. He's rather tan, though. Yes. And his hair when he was younger was quite black. Yeah. <laughs> Got a link to How I Met Your Mother. <laughs> or The Nanny. If you want to talk about Fran Drescher. <laughs> Which I don't. I really, really <laughs> do not want to do that. <laughs> not going to go <laughs> to The Nanny. Or just not. Okay. <laughs> we got Happy Gilmore. We got the American Humane Association. I'm sorry, I got distraction, distractioned <laughs> by Reservations Bear. Reservations Bear? Reservations Bear exhibit closed. <laughs> I thought that was one link. I was hoping that it was Reservations Bear. <laughs> Reservations <laughs> bear that holds your reservations <laughs> for you. That'd be a kind of service I could see Bob Barker endorsing. <laughs> Don't forget, we also have the potential for... <laughs> Don't we not mention, how are we not mention this? Okay. In, 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 in. January 2010, mm. the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society announced that it had secretly purchased and outfitted a ship to interdict Japanese whaling operations in the Southern Ocean using $5 million <laughs> provided by Barker. The ship was then named the My Bob Bark. <laughs> And its existence was first revealed when it helped to discover the location of the Japanese whaling fleet. In 2010, Barker began funding the cost of a helicopter named the Nancy Burnett after the president of United Activists for Animal Rights. The helicopter accompanies the society's fleet. Bob Barker has a navy. Bob Barker has a navy that fights for animal rights. <laughs> that is crazy. Has a helicopter with a navy. That. Well, I think we need to go to my Bob Barker. My Bob Barker. That that really kind of settles that for me. <laughs> wow, that ship is epic. This Look at is that thing. My Bob Barker. Look, it has like a skull and cross, not bones, cross swords. <laughs> what? What? It's all painted in black. Look at that thing. That's so bad. That's so ba. <laughs> yeah, there's like. There's like shark teeth, all sorts of stuff going on. Are those missiles? What is, what is on the deck of that thing? I feel like those are like weapons of some sort. It's so strange. Why are you weapons to fight the animal rights? <laughs> Isn't that contradictory? Okay, let's see. Alright, so... Bob Barker is described as a long-range, fast ice vessel of 801 tons. Wow. Fast um, ice. It was built in Norway in 1950 as the whale catcher Paul the 14th, but was deleted from the Norwegian ship registry in 2004 and sold to a Cook Islands registry concern. It was eventually purchased by the etc etc and refitted in Africa. You already heard that part. Uh, then in February 2010, Japanese officials said that Bob Barker's Togo registry had been withdrawn. And in May, the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society stated that Bob Barker was now registered under the Dutch flag. Hmm. And then after the African refit of this ship, it departed Mauritius Mar 
Marudius? I know what you're trying to say. Yeah. Marutius, maybe. Marutius. I don't know. It, on uh, December 18th, 2009, to join up with my Steve Irwin. No way. And my Addie Gill. No. There's the, a, there is the an actual two Navy. other <laughs> Sea Shepherd vessels. Oh, my God. They have an actual Navy. <laughs> and one of its first actions was to take video footage of the collision between Addie Gill and a Japanese security vessel, after which she took aboard the crew from the stricken Sea Shepherd craft. And uh, on February 6th, while constructing the slipway of Nissin Maru... Wait, that sounds like that thing that we talked about. You mean the Kobayashi Maru? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that was that name of that video game with those little cute... Japanese things. It might be, but the Japanese but, would name a whaling ship after that. That's true. <laughs> that's very true. But anyway, that was a factory ship, and Bob Barker collided with Yushin Maru number three, resulting in a three foot four inch gash in Bob Barker's hull above the waterline. And the Institute of Cetacean Research reported minor damage to a handrail and to the hull of its ship. And both Sea Shepherd and the ICR accused the other of intentionally causing the crash. Wow. Then on the 25th of February, Sea Shepherd reported that Bob Barker, which had been following the whaling fleet after Steve Irwin broke off pursuit to return to port, was suffering from a fuel valve problem and would be returning to port, ending the organization's operations for the 2009-2010 whaling season. And then in 2011, Sea Shepherd reported that Bob Barker, which had been searching for the whaling fleet alongside the Sea Shepherd vessel Goshira, began blocking Nishin Maru's slipway on 18th of February after being aggressively tailed by Bob Barker for over (laughs) 3,000 nautical miles. No way! Nishin Maru changed course and headed towards Japan, cutting short the 2010-2011 whaling season. Wow. So this... These guys this are awesome. thing, <laughs> This is so cool. And then... This is like Greenpeace <laughs> on crack. <laughs> then the next year, in March, Sea Shepherd reported that after a lengthy search, Bob Barker found the whaling fleet's factory ship, Nishin Maru. Three days later, on 8th of March, the whalers left the Southern Ocean for the 2011-2012 season. Man, I'd like to see a movie about these guys. Yeah, and all of their ships, too. God, you got to look <laughs> at some of these. Okay, so there's MV Bridget Bardot, which was also known formerly as Gohira. Uh, it was... Look at this thing. Just look at this. It is a speedboat. They have this thing. Uh, it was originally named Cable and Wireless Adventurer, built for the purpose of circumnavigating the globe in no less than 80 days. Uh, this was successfully complicated, uh, accomplished in 1998 in 74 days. So this is a fast boat. <laughs> this is quick. It can stay out for a long time. And then there's also uh, uh, my Sam Simon. <laughs> which Look at that thing. Look at that boat. I love how all of these boats are named after TV figures. My Steve Irwin. <laughs> the one you really got to check out is... Uh, my Addy Gill. A-D-Y-G-I-L. That thing. What is going on? That thing is literally just like a rocket ship on water. <laughs> Whoa. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That thing can just go out and just... I don't even know. Man. It's a very small but probably very agile boat. That's crazy. Yeah. These guys have... A ridiculous, a ridiculous fleet going on here. <laughs> There's even like a little like uh, jet ski you can attach to the back of the Adigil. <laughs> There's a crew area. There's eight bunks in that thing somewhere. Eight. Eight. Wow. I have a crew of eight. Yeah, that's a very futuristic looking vessel. Yes. Yeah, I want to see even but- a TV show. About these, these <laughs> about these guys' exploits. Well, especially because the Addie Gill's actually dead. Um, this boat 
is the one that they were talking about with the collusions earlier. Like, when these Sea Shepherd votes go out, the objective is, of course, to keep them within, with, to keep the Japanese whaling ships within the certain boundary of Japan. Mm. But to do that, sometimes they just collided with the other boats. <laughs> and, like, I'm pretty sure that's what they, like, this, this boat, this speedboat, just deliberately, like, went full speed into mm. another boat and sank. Yeah, <laughs> but they are—they need 1.5 million dollars to get a new one of these, and they are already one million of the way there due to an nice. anonymous donor giving them one million dollars. <laughs> so, I'm really looking forward to the Addy Guild too, just because it's so cool that a private navy has like like a really diverse <laughs> fleet like this. Like they literally do—they do have like a like a destroyer and like a like a reconnaissance vessel. Like it's, it's <laughs> so interesting that there's this fleet that just goes out and is like, hey, yeah, stop. Killing whales. Go home. We don't need. <laughs> you don't. You don't need that. You can get other food. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. From Robert Baker Painter to my Bob Barker. <laughs> I like that. I like that better than just saying I'm Bob Barker. That adds an element of curiosity. Like, did he make a typo? Is deliberate. Oh. Did they make it to Bob Barker, or did they only make it to my, my Bob Barker? Because that would almost be a much more, uh, like, a much better accomplishment. If we could have started with, it's like, like, naval ships. It's like we're trying to get to Bob Barker, but we make it to some other kind of Bob Barker thing. That's still Bob Barker-related, but isn't quite Bob Barker. We just don't have enough time to fit actual Bob Barker in. But yeah. So, um... Yeah, give, give us a like and follow on Facebook and rate and review us on iTunes and check out new episodes and such on twc.ericteribio.com and I would like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song and Paul Whiteman Orchestra for our outro song. So thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Like, for real. I'm pretty sure the United States Navy doesn't even have a speedboat like that. Like, look at that thing. <laughs> that is a really cool boat. Yeah. Ah, it's a shame they literally use it as a battering ram. But it's also the coolest thing <laughs> that they use as a battering ram. Like, who takes... It's like a bullet. Yeah. It's literally like a bullet. You can tell that thing was built just for racing. <laughs> and then they raced it into the side of another <laughs> boat. That's so epic. Like, my Sam Simon is unusually large. Like, that was one I, I looked at and was like, what? I love their little symbol of, like, skull and crossbones, but it's, like, pitchfork. Yeah, it's not actually bones. Probably because it's run by animal rights people, so they're vegetarians. Right. So they use forks <laughs> to eat most of their vegetable foods. You know, it's kind of how, I guess, vegetarianism works. I wouldn't know. But. 